Hey, we're all looking to save, especially on medical bills, but where do you start? Now, unless you're a medical billing expert, finding savings, well, it can seem impossible. HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance and they flag errors like overbilling or wrong codes and fraud. And you can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. Now, saving starts with knowing where to look. Go to their website. It's HealthLock.com today before you see any other healthcare provider. Ronald Reagan cut taxes, cut government spending, and gave us peace through strength. Now you can celebrate this great president with a limited run, half-ounce silver coin from the top-rated precious metals company, Gold Co. All qualified listeners who visit HannityGold.com this week will get a free Ronald Reagan half-ounce silver coin. So go to HannityGold.com and get yours free while supplies last. That's HannityGold.com. Pure Talk, my sponsor and my wireless company, of now providing international roaming to over 50 countries. Now, as you plan your summer travel, make sure that your wireless company covers you at home and abroad. Now you can get unlimited talk and text, plenty of 5G data for just 20 bucks a month. That's less than half the price of Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile for the exact same service. Just go to puretalk.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N, make the switch today. Save an additional 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N. Well, we're coming to your city. Gonna play our guitars and sing you a country song. I hear from people in our caucus who talk to sources high up who say we need to make sure Sean Hannity's not talking about this or Laura Ingram because conservatives, that's why they kept it secret. Every day between now and November, the American people are going to know that the only reason the border is not secure is Donald Trump and his MAGA Republican friends. No, no, we're talking about Section 3. Please don't change the hypothetical, okay? Please don't change the hypothetical. I know I like doing it too, but please don't do it. Only 270 days left till the presidential election. Yeah, we're coming to your city. Gonna play our guitars and sing you a country song. From coast to coast. From border to border. From sea to shining sea. Sean Hannity is on. All right, thanks, Scott Shannon. Hour two, Sean Hannity Show. Our toll-free number is 800-941-SEAN if you want to be a part of the program. Uh, we played a, a lot of these exchanges in the last hour. Um, fascinating arguments going back and forth in the Supreme Court today. Uh, as we already mentioned, it, it looks like even the New York Times is conceding that uh, Donald Trump is going to win this case. What was was really kind of at times odd to me, it almost felt like the justices to, uh, to both lawyers on both sides were basically telling them what their arguments should be and what their arguments, you know, where their arguments are weak. It was like it was like an academic exercise listening to all of this. All right. Joining us now is Jay Seculo. He is the chief counsel for the American Center for Law and Justice and my own personal attorney, which, by the way, that, that's awful for you. Now, you've argued before the Supreme Court. How many times have you argued cases yourself, and how many cases have you been involved in? Yeah, let's see. The last one, it was a three. we had a three for the last time. So I think 
Uh, I've done 24 cases, argued 17. Okay, so, it, by the way, that's not an easy environment for any lawyer to be in. You've got nine justices, and they have no problem cutting you off mid-sentence before you even give an answer and then pulling you in a whole different direction. It's a, it's pretty challenging. It is. It's uh, an invigorating uh, hour or so, and it, I think it was today as well. I'm optimistic. We represent the Colorado uh, Republican Party, so we're a party in the case, although it was Donald Trump's lawyer that did the oral argument. I think we're going to win 9-0 uh, on the issue of the president is not an officer uh, of the United States, because as John Roberts has written in opinions, uh, you do not elect officers of the United States. You elect presidents, you elect you know vice presidents. You don't elect officers of the United States. And so I think we went on that. Uh, the difficulty was that the lawyer representing President Trump hedged on that a bit, uh, even though that's where the court was going. But at the end result, it's not going to matter. Uh, I think we're going to win at nine. Well, uh, but that, but the, 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 I want to stop you there because what you're saying is very profound here. Um, because it, this is one that Donald Trump's team had won before the Supreme Court of Colorado, you know, reversed it. That was the argument that was settled with the with the lower court judge in that case. Right, that uh, the president was not an officer of the United States. So in the brief that I filed uh, on behalf of the Colorado GOP with the Supreme Court. Here's what I said. First, the president is not an officer of the United States under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. The text of the Constitution confirms that the president is not an officer of the United States, and the oath the president takes is distinct from the oath officers of the United States take, uh, further confirming he is not an officer of the United States under Section 3. Then we went into it is not self-executing, and the states have no authority to bring these kind of cases. And we raised the First Amendment issue, and also it only applies to holding office, not running for office. So I think the officer of the United States is where this is going. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you, regardless of how the questioning, and I think yes. listening to Supreme Court arguments, my past experience has shown me, don't think you can guess where any one justice is going to go based on his or her questioning in the case. Uh, one of the other big issues came up, and it was the issue of, insurrection i wanted to get your take on some of the exchanges regarding that yeah uh the, the last i checked uh jay seculo i don't think that donald trump was ever charged with insurrection uh let alone be convicted of insurrection uh and and how does a court get to determine that uh you know what, what are the standards that they're going to use for that and secondly how does a in maine where you have a you know one elected official that that took that bait they're not going to say there was no insurrection or there was an insurrection. I'm going to say it doesn't matter. Okay, and tell me why. Because the, the fundamental question you have in this case is, does this statute, does the 14th Amendment, Section 3, apply to the President of the United States or a former President of the United States? And the answer on the face of the amendment is it does not. So it's almost a jurisdictional question. You had Justice uh, uh, Brown, you had Justice Jackson, you had Justice Kagan, uh, a little bit from Sotomayor, not that much, but you had two, you know, Two judges that clearly, uh, you know, that are, are left of center, Democrat appointees, two of them that were unequivocal, uh, and I think this is, you know, I think this is a big part of this, is if you got Kagan and then you have Justice Jackson arguing that the president's not an officer and pushing the Trump lawyer saying, why are you running away from that argument? Because, boy, the text of it really seems to support you. Um, I think that bodes well for us at the end of the day. I think it bodes well as well. What did you think? I mean, I've listened to other arguments before the Supreme Court. They're not televised, but you can get the audio feed of it. 
And I, I felt this was had a little bit different feel in as much as I felt like the judges had come in with their predetermined outcome in many ways mm-hmm. and and were trying in both cases to challenge the arguments that both sides put out here. Did you get that feeling? Well, they did. I think, look, at a case like this where the stakes are so high and what's at play is so real, I mean, it affects everybody's right to vote. I mean, it's a fundamental issue here. That what you have is a lot of it is predetermined. And I don't mean that in a bad way. But a lot of it is determined on the briefs. I mean, the arguments that were being raised by the justices tracked my brief very closely. I'm not saying that to brag or boast. It just, it did. Because we laid out what I, you know me, Sean, I I like having an exit ramp. Where can I get nine justices to kind of coalesce? And I think the officer issue was the issue, and it it seemed like that's where they were moving. Oh, it seems like it. And by the way, I'm sure they read your brief as part of their preparation. The one thing you have to give them credit for is they all came in very prepared yeah. and they, they were, you know, knowledgeable about past precedent. They were knowledgeable uh, as it relates to the law, the Constitution. I, I felt everybody on all sides. To me, it was just interesting. That's my biggest takeaway from it. Um, I, I think it's a no brainer. But but let me ask you, in principle, how, how does a court get to decide that somebody is guilty of insurrection like the Colorado Supreme Court. How do they get to make that determination if an individual's not even been charged with it? Uh, you know, I thought we had the idea and the presumption of innocence before proven guilty. Aren't you ostensibly proving somebody or, or declaring somebody guilty, sort of like the main Secretary of State doing it unilaterally? Yeah, Kagan said that. I mean, Kagan said, how are you going to let one state determine all this for the rest of the country? And based on what procedures and precedent, uh, Justice Jackson wrote this. She said, you know, I'm not making a distinction between ballot access and anything else. I mean, she was trying to talk, you know, fundamentally about the case. And then she said, but the president is not enumerated in Section 3. So why would it go to him? So they, they were avoiding the insurrection discussion. That will not be the basis of any opinion here. They're not going to find that Donald Trump engaged in an insurrection or did not engage in an insurrection. It's going to be a question of law, not fact. Let's go to Elena Kagan and and play the exchange you're referring to here, asking the Colorado lawyer, Jason Murray. ...of the United States. In other words, you know, this question of whether a former president is disqualified for insurrection uh, to be president again is, you know, just say it. It sounds awfully national to me. Um, so whatever means there are to enforce it would suggest that they have to be federal national means why does uh you know if you weren't from colorado and you were from wisconsin or you were from michigan and it really you know what the michigan secretary of state did is going to make the difference between you know whether candidate a is elected or candidate b is elected i mean that seems quite extraordinary doesn't it No, Your Honor, because ultimately it's this court that's going to decide that question of federal constitutional eligibility and settle the issue for the nation. And and certainly it's not unusual that questions of national importance come up. Well, I suppose this court would be saying something along the lines of that a state has the power to do it. But I guess I was was asking you to go a little bit further and saying why should that be the right rule? Why should a single state have the ability to make this determination not only for their... Listen, I played on our broadcast today mostly Kagan and Jackson. So I'm very optimistic on this. Uh, I think the briefs that we set forth gave them a roadmap, and I think we're going to have – I'm really optimistic. I think we get a decision probably in two weeks. Yeah. Why do you think it's going to happen that quickly? Try to get it done before March 5th. 
Super Tuesday. Oh. Let's then go, we have to, I guess, go back to the issue of, of presidential immunity, which is, you know, I guess that's probably going to be headed to the Supreme Court should they choose to take it. Yeah. Um, and all right, so when will we find out? Uh, well, they're going to take it up there Monday, so you'll, they'll either get a stay or won't get a stay real quick within days. So we will know within days whether or not the issue of presidential immunity. Now, in listening to some of those arguments, I was a li- I, I didn't particularly like the argument that can a president, while president, authorize a SEAL Team Six uh, uh, team to assassinate his top political rival. I, I, I could, I, for the life of me, could not understand that analogy. It's a qualified yes. Qualified yes being you'd have to go through this process. Here's the answer to this: If a president of the United States, I'm not talking about any particular president were to get a weapon and go on Fifth Avenue just start randomly shooting, do we think the police can't stop it? Of course the police can stop it. They have an obligation to stop it. Of course. It's called keeping the peace, which is what law enforcement does. Whether you're the President of the United States or whether you're working in a subway station for you know, the city of New York. Keeping the peace. All right, quick break. Right back. We'll continue more with Jay Sekulow, Chief Counsel for the American Center for Law and Justice, as we continue. Right, we continue now with Jay Sekulow. He is the chief counsel for the American Center for Law and Justice. Here's what I think is the problem with some of these cases, with some of the ways these lawyers are doing it. You know, Sean, you and I both like sports. Sometimes you just need to put a layup in the basket. You just need two points. But they still go for the three-point shot, and then they miss the rim, and it bounces out. So here's I think that- the, this case, the one involving the issue of immunity. The fundamental error, and there were many in that D.C. Court of Appeals opinion, but the biggest one was that immunity expires at 12.01 on January 20th, the moment the former pre- the president becomes the former president, or as they said, Citizen Trump. I would go to the Supreme Court and say, look, before you decide anything, correct this. You're looking at time here. That is fundamentally incorrect. Immunity protects the president when they're out of office, or else they'll be thinking about lawyers every decision they make. So I think that that that, that is a, a very that's a reality of that job. Right. Here's the point. Now we got to determine were these in the scope of his official duties. And as Alan Dershowitz said on your television broadcast two nights ago, clearly some of them are within his official duties. Others may be on the fringes of it, and some may be out. But a court needs to make a determination as to each one of those then the ones that are not within the official duties and there's no immunity, then a determination has to be made, are those incidents constitute a crime? Now, this is going to take a year when you've got to remand it back. That's how Jay Sekula would argue the case. I would not go for the three-point shot there. You want to get through the election without a trial. And do you think that's still possible? I mean, you need the Supreme Court to take it up, I guess, at this point, no? Or do you go to the appeals court and ask for the, the entire court's decision, which is probably not going to be favorable? Address this issue first. Does immunity expire at 1201? And I think nine justices, just like in this case, would say, no, it doesn't. Now go back to the... I, Sean, I did this with the President Trump's tax returns. We fought the DA. We fought the DA. You know, they came out with this, you know, I call muddled ruling... But the one thing they said in the last, it was what Brett Kavanaugh wrote in his concurrence. Nine justices unanimously agree that President Trump can go back into the district court and file objections on constitutional grounds. Because before that, I didn't know, they didn't know if we could do that. They, the argument was it had to stay in the state courts. We were in federal court. So you know what I did? Filed constitutional objections on 
federal grounds. Took another year, and then, you know, the, eventually the tax returns were delivered. And how much have you heard about his tax returns? Not much, because I think he paid all those taxes. Paid a lot. There was, there, was, there was a bad moment on MSDNC. I've got the tax return. I got the tax return. Oh, Donald Trump paid a lot of money in taxes. That was a pretty great moment for NBC News, right? Anyways, it was the principle of things. So I just think you got to think incrementally in some of these cases. And not, everything is not a three-point shot at the buzzer. Sometimes you're yeah. going into the halftime, and you're three points down. And you know what? I'd like to go in tied. So I could go on the fourth down with four to go. And although the percentages say 58% of the time I'm going to get that first down, but, you know, 42% of the time I'm not. But I'm 32 yards away. And my guy can kick a field goal at 52 yards. I'm going to go for the field goal. So go into the go into the halftime even. I think his lawyers need to be thinking a little bit more like that. Well, as we head into Super Bowl Sunday uh, weekend, I think that's the uh, apropos uh, analogy. Uh, Jay Seculo, Chief Counsel, American Center for Law and Justice. Thank you for being with us, sir. We appreciate it. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring bit. out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. 
Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The new Sean Hannity Show, talking about what's right for America, with a renewed commitment to keep you up to date on the breaking news stories. All right, 25 to the top of the hour. Big breaking news day. The U.S. Supreme Court hearing arguments about the the issue of kicking Trump off the ballot issue. Uh, That's the Colorado case. Uh, remember the first, the lower court in Colorado, they had determined, as we were talking about with Jay Sekulow, they, they were very clear in their determination that it, it did not apply the term officer to the president. And it was interesting to watch the Supreme Court justices bring that up and actually insinuate that the Trump lawyers were saying, well, what, basically saying, why are you giving up on that argument so easily? Kind of telling them that's where our head's at. That was pretty interesting. So we have all that. But I will tell you, the bombshell is this report by the special counsel, Robert Hur. Um, as th- this may be the end of Joe Biden. And you're saying, Hannity, how could that possibly be? I am telling you for this special prosecutor to be, to be saying the things he's saying about Joe Biden's cognitive state is so devastating um, maybe it was easy for them to dismiss me. Maybe the fact that I've been hammering this point, uh, unrel- I've been unrelenting and hammering this point from the very beginning. Clearly, I'm in the White House's head. I mean, Corinne Jean-Pierre trying to justify Biden saying that, oh, and I, I turned to 
Francois Mitterrand. Well, Francois Mitterrand's been dead for 27 years, Joe. Uh, and, well, I turned to Helmut Kohl. No, he's, he's dead. He was dead, too, at the time that you, of the meeting that you're talking about. That would have been Angela Merkel. And then, of course, not being able to remember Hamas. Now, what I've been showing you, what we've been playing here, you know, I started out doing it in a, in a kind of more fun way until it really dawned on me that this is not a joke that the president of our country is so cognitively impaired and so physically weak and so physically frail because that's what we're dealing with. And if I'm if I'm correct in my analysis based on Robert Hur's own comments here, putting aside the issue of we don't have an equal justice system or equal application of our laws, and I'm not putting that aside lightly. But for him to be saying the the things that he's saying in this report, it is just dev- maybe more devastating than even bringing charges against them. Now, we do have a problem with the two-tier justice system. Hillary Clinton, of course, yeah, she had this many classified top secret documents that we found, but no reasonable prosecutor would prosecute. And we're just going to forget the whole issue of the 33,000 deleted emails, uh, which I'm sure was done accidentally when you applied bleach bit to the servers and when you beat up your devices and destroyed them with hammers and when, when you when you remove SIM cards. But pay very close attention to what the special counsel here, and we'll get your reaction to it as well, 800-941-SEAN, but he concludes no criminal charges are warranted, just like Comey. No reasonable prosecutor would prosecute. Well, you mean a Democrat. Because if they applied the standards that they applied to Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden to Donald Trump, Mar-a-Lago never would have been raided. And the justification her gives is weak, you know, on a level that is it's not even plausible. But this is what he says. Biden, you know, concluding no criminal charges warranted, he said Biden would very likely present himself to a jury as a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with a poor mer- memory. We conclude that no criminal charges are warranted in this manner. We would reach the same conclusion even if the Department of Justice policy did not foreclose criminal charges against the sitting president. Now, he goes on in his report to say that Biden willfully, willfully retained and disclosed classified materials after his vice presidency when he was a private citizen. And then he goes on to explain these materials included more classified documents about foreign policy in Afghanistan, notebooks containing Mr. Biden's handwritten entries about the issues of national security and foreign policy, implicating sensitive intelligence sources and methods. FBI agents recovered these materials in the garage offices in the basement den of Biden's Delaware home. Biden retained materials documenting his opposition to the troop surge. It goes on to explain them all. Well, what is the difference? Now, if you listen to Robert Hur, appointed by the very abusively biased and one-sided and politicized and weaponized Department of Justice of Joe Biden, led by Merrick Garland, and this guy appointed by Merrick Garland, you realize, well, this justification just will make no sense. He said, well, most notably, after being given multiple chances to return his classified documents and avoid prosecution, Mr. Trump allegedly did the opposite. Why are you putting in allegations if you don't know? Because we do know certain things. We know the FBI actually went to Mar-a-Lago, saw the classified documents, the room, the main room that they talked about, and did nothing about it except call back, you know, a couple of days later and ask for an additional lock to be put on the door, which was complied with. 
They could have taken those documents with them. And her rights, according to the indictment, not only refused to return the documents for many months. Uh, well, Joe was so cooperative. He Meanwhile, he had materials going back to when he was a senator. Really? That's cooperative? Or did the Justice Department, as reports had come out at the time, did they tip off Joe Biden as it relates to, you know, his his entire, you know, issue being investigated and gave him time to go through documents? What they did with them? I don't know. They didn't find them all because they still went in and found documents. But that, you know, they're claiming that that Donald Trump obstructed justice by enlisting others to destroy evidence and then lie about it. Would that be like Hillary Clinton? employing others or enlisting others to destroy phones and blackberries with hammers and remove SIM cards? And who applied the bleach bit to the servers? Was it Hillary herself or was it other people? In contrast, Biden turned in classified documents to the National Archives and Department of Justice, consented to the search of multiple locations. Well, so did Trump. That's what's obscene here. He sat for a voluntary interview and in other ways cooperated with the investigation. I don't even know if Trump was given the opportunity to 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 sit down with this. Um, the idea that he would likely present himself to a jury as he did during our interview of him as sympathetic, well-meaning, an elderly man with a poor memory. How would you like to be have the president of your country being described this way in an election year or have him as your candidate? Can you imagine the ads that could be built around the descriptions of the special counsel? Let me go a little deeper into the report here. You know, in his interview with our office, Mr. Biden's memory was worse. He did not remember when he was vice president, forgetting on the first day of the interview when his term ended. If it was 2013, when, when did I stop being vice president? He's asking the special counsel in this interview. And then forgetting on the second day of the interview when when his term began in 2009. Am I still vice president? He doesn't know. He doesn't remember. Even within several years when his son Bo died, he didn't even have. I guess that's why he keeps repeating the false story that he died in Iraq. And among other things, he mistakenly said he had a real difference of opinion with General Carl Eikenberry, when in fact Eikenberry was an ally of Mr. Biden, uh, cited approvingly in his Thanksgiving memo to President Obama. He didn't remember when he was vice president, didn't remember when he became vice president, didn't remember anything. Wow, that's a reason not to prosecute him. The best case for charges would rely on Biden's possession of Afghanistan documents in his Virginia home on February 2017 when he was a private citizen and he told his ghostwriter, that he had just found classified material. Well, how is that any different than the, what they're claiming Donald Trump did? We conclude that the evidence is not sufficient to convict, and we decline to recommend prosecution for Mr. Biden for his retention of classified documents. His report, the report points out evidence suggests that Mr. Biden knew he could not keep classified handwritten notes at home after leaving office. He had for decades of experience with classified information. He was deeply familiar with measures taken to safeguard classified information and the need for those measures to prevent harm to national security. And then the report points out that when Biden was asked about reports that former President Trump had kept classified documents at his own home, Biden asked anyone, you know, 
Okay, how can how could anyone be that irresponsible? The report states that while he was vice president, he kept notebooks in a White House safe for a time. In contrast with his decision after leaving office, keeping them at home in unlocked, you know, cabinets drawers. And Biden also knew that his staff decided to store note cards containing his classified notes in a secured, compartmented information facility. Well, that's the report. And if, if he can't remember that when he was pres- vice president, if he can't remember when the year that he left office as vice president, if he can't remember the year he became vice president, how in God's name does this man become president of the United States? How do, how do you justify voting for him? What is the justification at this point? I mean, I, I, it's as devastating as anything I've ever seen. There are some really good... Um, sweet baby James is, I guess, surfing the net. You know, his by his his memory was sufficiently uh, significantly limited both during recorded interviews with the ghostwriter in 2017 and in his interview with our office in 2023. You know, and because of all this, Robert Hur, you know, now reporting investigators concluding that it would be he'd be well into his 80s. A serious felony that requires a mental state of willingness. Well, that that contradicts what I just said to you, what they said. You know, they that, in fact, he willfully retained them and disclosed them, although maybe they're contradicting that, too. Not really sure. I don't know. This is this is just devastating. And watch every every single Democrat defend this. Newt Gingrich tweeted out he'll join us at the top of the hour. He would likely simply present himself this way, sympathetic, well-meaning. How would you like to have that as your candidate for president in 2024? Maybe in the end, maybe this is more devastating. I don't know. But it may also mean that Democrats, those that have been critical, like Van Jones, who said he needs to hide and let others do the talking for him, or people like David Axelrod, or, you know, people like Maureen Dowd, um, you know, James Carville. These are not lightweights in Democratic circles. Anyway, 800-941-SEAN if you want to be a part of the uh, program. Uh, let's say hi to Trina, I guess, is in Wisconsin. Hey, Trina, how are you? Glad you called. Hi there. Um, you're the expert, so I'm calling you a first-time caller. I want to know what happens to if Joe Biden earns enough delegates to since the nomination for president and at the last minute he backs out and is replaced. How does that person get to be the the nomination if they haven't earned the delegates or what happens to them? Well, at any point, I mean, he could just say that he's not going to uh, he's not going to run. He can you know, call an audible uh, Lyndon B. Johnson move and say he won't. You know, if nominated, he's not going to accept. He's not going to take the nomination at that point. Um, my understanding is that the delegates would then probably in a, as some smoke filled room uh, be working the phones and trying to find the best candidate they can find. I assume they probably the first call would be to Michelle Obama, like others have been speculating. I don't I don't think it, I don't think anybody really wants Kamala Harris or approval rating as of NBC's recent poll was 28 percent. How do you put her in there? She's doing worse than him. You know, Gavin Newsom's name comes up again, and you got Gretchen Whitmer and people like her. I'm sure her name will be bannered about. Okay, so they just automatically pass them on. It's it's not a big. I would, I would say that is what they plan to do. Yeah. 
that that if it's going to happen, it either happens sooner or it's going to happen then or it doesn't happen. I mean, those are the three options, which I'm stating the obvious uh, real quickly. Anyway, thank you for the call. Uh, Nick is in Long Island, New York. What's up, Nick? How are you? Very well. Uh, you By the way, you have a you have in District Three in Long Island. Uh, <laughs> Matt, well, I'm just telling you, uh, you have Mozzie. Um, what's her name? Uh, Philip is running against Tom Swazi, and that's a winnable seat. So Republicans early voting, I think, goes on till Friday. Then the real elections on Tuesday. But anyway, what's on your mind? It's actually in my district, but uh, I didn't call about that. I, I called about this, trying to take uh, President Trump off the ballot. Uh, I'm independent, so I, I don't have loyalty to Trump or Biden, and I don't think you should be able to take either one of them off the ballot. And I have two words that I think every lawyer should say to, to any court they go with, and it's Gus Hall. My first presidential election was Ronald Reagan against Gary. Was, wasn't he the communist guy? Exactly my point. So if a communist guy can run while we're still in a Cold War, who are we to say that a Donald Trump or Joe Biden or any other American can't run? Uh, the states don't have the right. I mean, the more interesting point, Jonathan Turley made this, was that it was the more liberal justices that were harder on on the arguments being made against Trump than probably anybody. I th Look, I still think it's 9-0. We'll see. Uh, anyway, when we come back, we'll get Newt's take on all these issues today. Obviously, this beatdown by the special counsel, her, about Joe's cognitive state. More on the oral arguments in the Supreme Court today. Hey, I want to remind you that we all know the atrocities, what happened to Israel uh, on October 7th when they were attacked. The worst terror attack in their history by Hamas. Well, the toll on the people of Israel has been staggering. It's been massive. Hundreds of thousands of Israelis forced out of their homes, entire communities torn apart. The International Fellowship of Christians and Jews, they have been right in the middle of this every single day, distributing critical essentials like food, medicine, emergency supplies for hundreds of thousands of suffering Israelis. They need your help desperately. Uh, whatever you can give will be matched today. So if you gave 25 bucks, it'd be like giving 50 bucks. You give 50, it's like 100. It's supportifcj.com. That's all one word, supportifcj.org. And whatever help you can provide is so desperately needed. All right, when we come back, we have a lot of news that's breaking. Robert Hur's report that basically says Joe Biden is not cognitively fit to be a Walmart or Target greeter, like I've been telling you. And also the arguments before the Supreme Court over whether states can kick Trump off the ballot. Newt Gingrich is next on your calls. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. 
Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.